welcome to the Make a Statement podcast with Derek Robinson and Paul Kayon, presented by Mass Strategy. Let's go. Well, everybody, welcome back to the Make a Statement podcast, where we teach you what to say, how to say it, and where to say it, because we believe everyone deserves to have their message heard. It's been a while since we've done an episode, but we are back with two very special guests. I'll introduce Ali Blades first, our campaign strategist, who's kicked Paul off of the podcast today. Mm-hmm. So welcome, Ali. That's great. We ditched him because we're doing a couple more of this style of podcasting, which he's going to be on. So Ali is uh, helping out with this one and has the connection to the wonderful Elena Lawson from the Canuck Autism Network. Welcome, Elena. Hi, thank you. So what we're doing today is we're giving, it's sort of a Christmas episode. We're giving the gift of advocacy and of treasure. So we're going to do a check presentation at the end of the Canuck Autism Network. And I want to encourage you if you're thinking, hey, what, you know, who should I give to at the end of this year? Who should I get my tax credit from? Uh, this could be a great organization, especially once you hear from Elena. And then we're also wanting to uh, kind of give the gift of advocacy to tell their story a little bit. And so that's what we're going to do today. And we're going to spend, you know, 20, 30 minutes doing that. So Elena, welcome. And why don't you, you tell us a little bit about the Canuck Autism Network? Why, why does it matter? And what's the ultimate goal of the organization? Yeah, so Canucks Autism Network was founded in 2008. Um so for us personally, our family joined in uh, 2019. We joined the Connects Autism Network because our son was diagnosed uh, with autism spectrum disorder. But uh, their main focus is to provide inclusion and support to families and children throughout BC um, who are on the autism uh, spectrum. Right, right. So I, I, I went to your site, I've checked things out. I've talked to Ali. I know Ali has a really personal connection. I, the thing that I thought was really interesting was all the different supporting programs that are provided to people with autism in BC. Why the supporting programs? Um, I think it's just important for, for the inclusion. So on a personal note for, for um, William, he was able to take part in, in swimming and skating and, and activities he wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Um, we, we can't necessarily go into a public um, pool and, and he'd get overstimulated and having, having that experience where um, Connects Autism Network gave uh, our family the opportunity to have more of a one-on-one quiet environment, not overstimulating and give him uh, the opportunity to learn because swimming is so important. Swimming was the big one for us because he never liked water. He didn't want to be around it. Um, there's more than just swimming and skating. There's multi, there's uh, multi sports. There's family activities. There's there's support programs that they offer. It's 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 an amazing organization. So sorry, go ahead, Ali. Yeah, I'll just add that you know in the origin story of the Connect Autism Network, what I think is really cool here is that you know with the Canucks and uh, the relationship with the uh, hockey team, it seems like such a big thing, right? It seems like such a a grand enterprise, but really what this is, it's a family that also has a son with autism that started this and all throughout their programs, it really does feel like family helping family. So they're massive and they have this massive reach all over the, all over the province, but still you just feel like you're just part of the group. Mm -hmm. And it's nice too, because, um, what I found through, through, um, advocacy work and just autism in general uh, resources is I'm on the island and there's not a there's not a lot of it right and so that this network goes all over BC like 
And so you get the opportunity to be able to participate and your child gets the opportunity to participate in these things that, that um, maybe wouldn't be available. Yeah, I, I don't think people totally understand that um, because with autism, there's so many different kids um, on different areas of the spectrum and adults mm -hmm. too. And some are sensory seeking. Um, so my experience is I have, a, I have a little boy with autism as well that has a, a severe case and he's a sensory seeking boy where he wants the thrills. He, want, he likes the noise, but then there's other kids on the spectrum, like it sounds like your son, William, that to be in an environment like that, going to a regular skating rink or a pool with people everywhere, it'd be way too much. And it'd be overwhelmed and overstimulated. So maybe talk about that a little bit, how, you know, a regular community program of hockey or swimming, it just, it doesn't do it for a kid. No, and, and it, it won't necessarily. So for example, too, there's the, there's the um, inclusion piece. So you go to a community-based swimming, skating, sports, um, they may not be able to have the support there. Um, the one-on-one -on -one support. So they, so for example, William may not be accepted onto a sports team right. um, because of his diagnosis, because he may need the extra, extra support. Um, where can, there are so many volunteers and they're amazing. Every experience that we've had, the volunteers are exceptional. Um, they, they're friendly, they're calm, it's, it's an amazing experience where even pre-COVID, we had him in skating through CAN, and we were talking to one of the volunteers about doing it privately afterwards because he enjoyed it so much. Um, so you get those connections as well with the people that are involved. Right. So, so part of the benefit is definitely the network and bringing people mm -hmm. together that want to support people with autism and helping them. The, the other thing that I thought was interesting was the employment opportunities and the training there. Can you talk a little bit about that? I can't. Um, maybe Ali can. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So um, with the Connect Autism Network, uh, in that group that I was talking about, like you're very much part of the process and you're very much part of the family. Uh, they also focus on uh, giving back to the community and including those uh, recipients of the programs and bringing them into uh, training programs as well. And so they offer that training and they fund it and pay for it for everything and then take you along to the journey. And then you can also give back. And that's truly ultimately what we all want to do, right, is feel part of the community and feel like we're all giving back. And so this is a really cool way for you to continue on your journey with the organization. And even like William actually donated to Ken. So William starting early at seven in his journey and giving back. Yeah. But that's the culture that Ken creates is um, you know, you're part of it, but you're also able to give back in your own way too. And so maybe Alina, you can kind of share William's journey and in, in giving back to the organization because I thought yeah. it was the coolest thing in the whole wide world. So um so Connects Autism Network every year does uh, CAN Sports Day at BC Place. Mm -hmm. So it gives um, children and their families the opportunity to um, experience different types of sports and have the sports teams there. So for example, um, there was uh, Kirk McLean from the Vancouver Canucks and you had Finn and then you had the uh, BC Lions and the Giants. Like there was so many teams there and it was such an amazing experience to be able to go. Um, and uh, an option was if was a fundraiser. So um, 
you had the choice to fundraise for this and and put some money towards can and then of course he was excited because uh the more you raised you got some prizes um and he raised over 500 dollars for it wow mm -hmm. yeah That's so he, he entered it. really really yeah yeah he's seven and he's he's fundraised a couple times and then usually for my birthday every year, I do a, a Facebook fundraiser for, for CAN, um, just because they have supported my family so much uh, since 2019 that just to, to give back is the least I can do from what they've done for us. That's great. Talk, talk about the founders a little bit, because I, I didn't realize this when I first saw the organization. I didn't realize it was sort of connected to the Vancouver Canucks, the NHL team. So how, how did that all happen? So the co-owners of the Canucks, the Acolini family, um, so Clara and Paolo are the ones who started the organization in 2008. Um, of their four children, like I mentioned earlier, uh, one is on the autism spectrum. And, and so this was very much a passion project for them. And uh, if they... They definitely use the the network of the the Canucks and are very giving uh, community in Vancouver. But this has really grown from 2008 to now in just um, providing services in Vancouver to the entire province. So very cool to see. Uh, so yes, we often see a lot of things uh, cross promotional between the Canucks, the hockey team, and the Canuck Autism Network. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, I think it was about a month ago, uh, Can reached out to families asking for stories of how um, the Canucks Autism Network has helped them. So I wrote a story just about William and they called me and they offered us Canucks tickets. Um, but unfortunately we were on the island and, and the day of the week, it didn't work out. But um, to be given that experience and that opportunity is, is again, really amazing and something that you usually wouldn't get so right that's fantastic well mm -hmm. yeah obviously being connected to an nhl team brings a lot of benefits uh just connection wise and being able to get into bc place and you know knowing the bc lions and finn and all the different mascots and whatnot so i, I think that's very cool and I, I could see a lot of opportunities for for kids talk to me about adults though too uh, you know, we, we, you know, we both have kids with autism. So, but what about the adults that, um, you know, utilize the network and, and how does it help them? So there are some adult programs. I know there's, um, I think it goes to 19. Um, I've only utilized the children's programs, so I can't really speak to the adult programs specifically. Um, I'm so sorry. <laughs> No, that's okay. Like I saw there was a lot of, and maybe Allie, you know more about this, but the training and development opportunities, which oh, I- for the, the jobs. Yeah, mm -hmm. because I, I think that's a really important thing to mention, um, you know, talking about the stigma of autism. Um, if you say someone's autistic, it, it can mean a lot of different things. It doesn't mean just, you know, they're they're bad or they're, they're slow or something like that. It, it can mean a, a large variety of different things and people could have exceptional skill sets. Um, mm -hmm. kind of caused by their autism in some ways. So I don't know, Ali, if you have any thoughts on that or what uh, you kind of know about that. Well, I, there's one story that really um, impacted me on the annual report for 2001. And I always look forward to the reports because they, they share these stories. And so um, in that journey of receiving those programs and then giving back and kind of being full circle, uh, for from what I can gather, these are also, given the massive network, these are also opportunities for placement 
within the organization too. So one of the stories were that uh, now one of their program recipients is now working the front desk and uh, that greeter on the line to connect them to whoever you need to within this massive organization too, right? And so um, I think that's pretty cool because not only are they in every community, so have networks within each community, but then also offer uh, employment opportunities within the organization. And isn't that what it's really all about mm -hmm. is being part of that family? Yeah. They also um, offer training um, for businesses. So um, they'll offer training for staff, um, not just on the autism spectrum, but for the, the public to, to have better awareness and understanding of autism. So I think that's very valuable. I think they've worked with a couple of um, emergency response teams as well of how to uh, best assist somebody uh, with autism. Right. I, th I think that's critical because, you know, as, as a business owner myself, I will not understand someone's specific aut autistic needs unless I know them very well ahead of time mm -hmm. and know know what type of autism they have and, and where they need help and where they don't and, and where they could excel and, and where they do need support. And so from a business owner myself, I, I think that is a massive benefit. And I can see that becoming a bigger and bigger thing all the time. I know there's a labor shortage um, right now in BC and across Canada in many ways. And I think there's many autistic people out there that um, could be doing more in the workforce than maybe there is right now. So, Oh, yeah. Um, so I'm a Special Olympics coach in Delta and uh, in Delta, BC, and we know of a few companies in Delta that are very friendly to our athletes. And it just seems to be those certain pockets. But I think that's because there's that leadership there that understands and makes uh, accommodations and is uh, uh, very welcoming. But I mean, that's not enough. Right. And it also just limits them into certain skill sets as well, depending on where they want to work. So uh, we certainly need to do more in that space. Yeah, I think I think general awareness is is uh, needed um, to to speak to somebody like you, you talk about William and, and you meet William. You've met William, you know, um, there everyone's different. And I think the general awareness surrounding it needs to be more public it needs to be talked about more there is so much stigma um I appreciate Derek even you sharing your story because there's a lot of people a lot of parents and families out there that don't want to talk about it um when William was first diagnosed my husband didn't want to talk about it he didn't want to make it known he said I don't want my son to have this label yeah. and and you know and that's where it boils down to is people are afraid to speak up and and um, during the whole advocacy through this past year has really brought into light like and I'm really hoping with me talking about it so much and and creating this advocacy group that uh, more parents and families aren't as scared to speak up and and really advocate about their children or even talk about their success stories like we have so many success stories from William and, and yes, there's hard days, but a lot of them are really great mm -hmm. and I love sharing them. Yeah. No, that's, it's a really good point because I was um, sort of the, the denier in the relationship too, or the guy that didn't want to talk about it as well. So my, my little guy is only three years old. So that's, it's pretty early to, to diagnose autism. And so I was like, Oh, he's just, he's just behind, you know, it's, it's totally fine. 
and my wife Katrina was looking into things and and she was digging really good and she, she said oh I think there's a problem here and so we got him assessed and it was like yeah he has a severe case of autism and I know for me, that was really hard to take. Um, and, you know, I got plugged into sort of a, a local network for, for parents uh, with kids with autism in, in Calgary here. And I thought it was, it was incredibly helpful just to get some advice and opinions and perspective from other parents that, hey, it's going to be okay. And mm -hmm. if you have a network to support you, you can actually, you know, the, the, the child or the adult can go a long ways in life. You know, it, it's not over because you have an autism diagnosis yeah. and, and kids can move up and down the spectrum too, which I didn't realize either um, with therapies and supports and, and good support programs and, and all that type of thing. So I definitely probably relate to your husband on this one where it's like, you just, you don't want the label. It's like, it sounds bad. Um, yeah. In a lot of ways, I think autism sort of behind, you know, the mental health movement where I feel like there's a lots of stigma with, you know, you have a mental health issue, but it's, it's still, you know, that that's obviously still there, but autism might be even worse than that. Mm -hmm. and I think there needs to be a lot more work. And uh, so I, I don't know if you have thoughts on that, Ali or Alina. Well, to, to Alina's point, you meet one, and she's actually the one who taught me this. You meet one child with autism. You have very met, very much met that one child with autism. And so it is a personal journey for absolutely everyone and, you know, I think when it comes to the advocacy part of it, if you're blessed and fortunate enough to meet William or, or anyone like William, you then fall in love and want to do everything you can to help William, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, I've met Alina through this advocacy network and all the work that she does. And then I get to meet all of these other parents and these families who are just fighting for everything that they possibly can for resources for their children. I mean, certainly we've seen a lot of that here in BC because the provincial government was trying to impose a, um, a, a model in which you were taking away funding, individual funding from families. And essentially what I was learning through these parent networks, it was that that just wasn't going to work. And so they have made a splash. They have gone to the legislature and taken over that front lawn and you can see them and you can see them in the news and it's wonderful to see, but um, it's very, very personal. Whereas maybe other issues and other stigmas, they affect more families, right? And so I think for us, we just have to uh, work a little bit harder and a little stronger and more passionately just because it doesn't affect as many people. I don't want people to miss what you said right there, Ali. I think that's where the key is that you've met one child with autism or one person with autism, you've met one. And it's it's so vastly different where, where kids and adults are at on the spectrum and their needs are so dramatically different. So if anyone picks up anything from this episode, I think that is a critical part of the stigma and, and understanding of uh, people with autism. So. Um, but yeah, let's talk about that. Governments, what what do you think they're doing right? What Where do you think they need to improve, especially from a BC context? Ali's obviously a BC specialist uh, that works with us here, but so I'd, I'd maybe like to hear from both of you, but Elena, if you want to go ahead and give your thoughts. Sure. I think the, the uh, first step uh, now, Premier David Eby stopping the elimination of individual uh, autism funding. I think that was a, a great first step for him. Uh, it's now let's hope he keeps his promise and doesn't try to take it back. Um, 
I've always said from the very beginning that they need to build upon the current system and to support more kids through BC, but not tear it down and strip something away from something that's working for thousands of kids. Um, I do think uh, where BC can improve is the retention of service providers as well as um, the diagnosis wait times. You know, it's unacceptable that kids are sitting on a wait list for years or um, parents are having to pay thousands of dollars for private diagnosis. Right. That- so, that's a good point. We had, we had that problem too, is, uh, we actually, we paid for someone to mm-hmm. diagnose the, the kid early. Cause you know, he's three years old, but it might not be until he was five where he could actually get diagnosed because of the wait times. And that's in Alberta, which I think are maybe slightly better than BC and Saskatchewan from what I understand. Mm-hmm. Even the person that we got it done by, um, he isn't even going to be doing them anymore because he's, oh. he's been in Ontario or something. So Alberta only has, I think just a small handful of people that will do this even privately. So mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, from a parent with a kid with autism, there needs to be far more options, um, private and public for that. I agree. Early intervention is, is critical. Um, William was diagnosed in 2018. So he was three, mm-hmm. um, almost four and it was early intervention. You know, it was, it was, um, we started while we were on the wait list. We, we did speech pathology privately. We paid out of pocket for that. Um, and and we waited until he got his diagnosis and then we built the home team and he's had that ever since. But, but the, the crucial part is the individual funding too, I think, because it does give the parents and families the choice. Um, they need to be able to pick their service providers. You know, you can't just have anybody come in to help your child because if, if it doesn't fit, then you're not going to see progress and you need to be able to pivot when the child needs are changing right and and that that definitely gives it gives the parents the option for that yeah it depends where you live too who's available and you know if, if the person could make it to you or, or how that all looks I, I know that's complicated even exactly. in, in a city like calgary here it's like it's it's such a large sprawling city if people know calgary and in bc would be you know vancouver would be very difficult to get from one end of vancouver to the other mm-hmm. so you have to find people sort of in your local area too especially if they're coming to your house weekly to do speech therapy or food therapy uh, or anything else. Exactly. I have a question. You know, I think about how big BC is and I think about how different each province is and accessibility to these sorts of things. What are the limitations or the benefits for things like Zoom or online uh, resources or um, does it, is there a focus on in-person resources? So I think um, through the advocacy, we spoke to a lot of families and um, virtual doesn't work. Um, From a personal standpoint, during COVID, we tried to do speech pathology and physio like OT through uh, Zoom. And literally William would say hi and walk away. Um, The the focus isn't there. You really need that that, um, personal in-person engagement um, to really keep them engage throughout the session and and to see the the results of it um i'm sure there's kids there that could really benefit from it but i think that the from what i've heard from families is it needs to be in person and in an environment that works like it, it can't necessarily be center-based because you've got bright lights you've got other kids you know like in a home environment or an environment that's comfortable for the child um you'll it's just better for them 
it's been our experience too. Uh, we, we tried to do some food therapy over Zoom and very difficult. It's, it's okay for training parents, I find in some situations, you can get some resources that way. But you're mm -hmm. right, I, I think in person and in the home is is the best, which which is difficult. But there's there's providers that do do all, this type of work all day, every day that will come to homes and, and they get it. And mm -hmm. it, it does work very well. It's just, I agree, you need the, that individualized funding is is definitely the best model to follow. So 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 that's that's one side of government is the, the funding model and building on that in BC. Is there anything else that you think governments are lacking? Do you, do you think they lack awareness, understanding? Uh, what oh, absolutely. Absolutely, they do. Um, I think for this, um, for the hub model to even come into play just shows the lack of um, understanding and awareness surrounding autism. Um, uh, the minister, there was no consultation with the autism community before this was um, put into play. Um, we Parents received an email, and that's how they were told that their funding was going to sunset in spring of 2025 so the terminology they used you know i i really jumped in when when this was announced and i dug through you know the the solicitation documents and the framework documents and you, you there was just you could tell that there was no understanding surrounding autism at all right yeah that's that's a big problem <clears throat> and well that I, I think that's the value having the canuck autism network as well is that the government can go, a minister can go talk to you in the network or another staff member in the network and get consultation done properly. Where if this network does not exist, you don't have anybody to do that. And mm -hmm. so I think that's a huge, huge value of the organization. Yeah. And I think it's valuable too, like for people, for um, the government to go to the parents, you know, like or the organizations are, it's so important to have them as a as even a stepping stone but like to talk to the parents that are living this daily i think that is is crucial um for them to really understand um what parents go through on a daily basis and what works and what doesn't yeah that makes sense ali you had another mm -hmm. thought there yeah i one of the the the, the beauties of this uh, friendship that i've had with the loss and family and just learning more and more about this is that I would be very interested to see federal leadership in bringing this together. I've just learned that from provincial jurisdiction to provincial jurisdiction, they fall under various ministries. So um, health or children's services or, um, or other, and every province is doing their own uh, model that works for them and that's brilliant. But I think that the federal model really has the opportunity to bring us together here under one umbrella and uh, create some of that um, uh, unison from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. That's a good point. That's something good to advocate for on the federal level is, you know, shared understanding across the country of what needs to be done and, and sort of some agreement and unity there, I think is very valuable. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I know we need to wrap up a bit here. Um, those are good advocacy points. Um, just tell us something fun or funny that William does. Maybe I'll let you both kind of share a quick story about uh, something interesting that William does and that gets you to smile. Um, so um, he's a big Minecraft guy. I was telling Allie about this yesterday. So it may not be funny, but it's amazing. Is He's seven and what he does in Minecraft just blows my mind. Mm -hmm. um, 
I've talked to a couple of my husband's friends and told him what he does and they don't even know how he does it. He does it on a PlayStation and supposedly you're not even supposed to be able to do it with half the stuff he does um, from that. But he's built car washes and dancing soldiers and roller coasters that go underwater. Um, It's amazing. He's actually, um, he's created so many worlds that he's, pretty much jam the PlayStation <laughs> that we have to probably get a new one, but um, the world Christmas he's created is amazing. He's very mechanical. You put him in front of anything, like he's got circuit boards. He doesn't want your help and he'll put them together. He'll get the fan going. He'll get the music playing, the lights on. He is so wow. mechanical and so smart that way. So we're very, very proud of him. Well, I think that's important to note is, you know, I mentioned this earlier, but a lot of people think, you know, autism people are slow or bad, or like, you know, there's just negative stereotypes, but they can yeah. be absolutely brilliant at something. And I think people forget that, that sometimes their minds work in such a different way than maybe mine does, or Ali's or yours, Elena, that it, you and we can't even comprehend what they can do as opposed to us in certain areas. So yeah. And, I, and one thing I do want to add too about um, the stigma or misunderstanding is, is when people um, assume because they're not giving you eye contact, they're not listening. Or, or they're not looking at you, they're not listening. That is not the case. Um, my husband and I were talking about that last night and he listens. Like you think he's not listening, he'll, he listens. And, and, you know, three weeks from now, he'll bring a conversation up that you had and you were like, oh, you were, <laughs> you know? So there's definitely that, that misunderstanding too. Yeah, for sure. Allie, do you want to share a quick one? Do you have one? I do. (laughs) When I very first met William, we met at a political rally with thousands of people. And he came up to me and immediately he just started asking me all of these questions. And he was so curious about what was going on and who was on the stage and what the process is. And if you know, when he was first diagnosed, Elena at three and nonverbal and, um, you know, having those difficulties, building those relationships, I became William's best friend within first the first five minutes. And I think that that was just such a beautiful thing in what the possibilities are with that early diagnosis and that advocacy and the, the work that you and your family have put into ensuring that William's successful in life. He certainly is building those beautiful relationships. And I'm just so fortunate to be one of his friends that's great well and that's the journey we're on too uh with our little guy vander he's you know diagnosed at three nonverbal. um so it sounds like a very similar story to you but i know people have great success when they're able to get around a network and have um supports and systems and programs in place to have the, these kids go on to do amazing things in their life where if they didn't have that they might not succeed um at all or, or in a very small way if they didn't have the intervention. So, uh, so I think what you're doing is a very good thing, both of you. And uh, I know MASH is happy to be part of it. This is the virtual check presentation. It's not a real check, but <laughs> I promised to send a real one. This is $2,500 oh, for the Canucks Autism Network. So thank you, thank very you much so much for, for all you do. And uh, maybe one day I can, I can meet William and become best friends with him as well. Um, yeah. and maybe William could meet Evander and, and teach him a, a couple things or two, um, about life and, and be his, you know, kind of big brother mentor or something at some point. So I'd love that. Next love time you're on yeah. the Island, uh, I'll, I'll ring you up and we can chat some more. Please do. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks very much, uh, to both of you, uh, for what you do and, um, 
the advocacy work that you do, um, especially for Ali that's involved in so many different things um, and, and makes friendships and connections everywhere. It's, uh, it's, it's inspirational to me. So thank you all very much. And thanks everybody for listening. If you are looking for a organization to give to, Connects Autism Network. I think you heard about it. I think it's very important to do. Help some families, help some kids. It's uh, very meaningful. So Merry Christmas, everybody. And we'll talk to you next time. Recording over.